0: And turn to Philippians chapter 2, and we're going to be in verses 19 through 30. If you don't have a Bible, there should be one in the row in front of you you can use, as well as we have scripture journals that you can grab in the the narthex on the table to the left as you're exiting the sanctuary. Philippians chapter 2, as we continue through Paul's letter to this church at Philippi. This morning we're going to be looking at verses 19 through 30. If you would, please stand for the reading of God's word. We stand out of respect. Not for the reader, but for the speaker who is God. This is God's word. I hope in the Lord Jesus to send Timothy to you soon, so that I too may be cheered by news of you. For I have no one like him who will be genuinely concerned for your welfare. For they all seek their own interests, not those of Jesus Christ. But you know Timothy's proven worth. I was a son with a father. He has served with me in the gospel. and not only on him, but on me also, lest I should have sorrow upon sorrow. I am the more eager to send him, therefore, that you may rejoice at seeing him again, and that I may be less anxious. So receive him in the Lord with all joy, and honor such men, for he nearly died for the work of Christ, risking his life to complete what was lacking in your service to me. This is God's word. You may be seated. to pray with me? Father, would, would your spirit accompany the word this morning and go out with power? I only, I only have mere human words, and not eloquence, but the power is in your word through the spirit. So would you open our eyes and open our hearts to what you want to teach us this morning? We thank you for speaking to us, and encouraging us, and for Showing us Jesus, our Savior, in whose name we pray. Amen. Now I want you guys in your mind to go back to school in your mind, go back to college, elementary, middle school, and I want you to think about and for some of you, that's a long time ago, right? so it's going to be a little challenge. But think about group projects. Who in here loved group projects, working with a group? Anybody? No hands. <laughs> One hand. Who in here hated group par- projects? Wow, it's okay. vast majority of you guys. As I was thinking about it, there were times I didn't like it. It really depends, doesn't it? My view is it really depends on who's in your group, right? who you're working with. Or do you have motivated people in your group? Or do you just have people who don't care and want someone else to do all the work? Those are bad groups to be in. But I think one of the reasons our teachers give us group projects is because so much of life, so much of our working life, our careers, are about working with other people, working on projects with other people. Right? You have to be able to work well with others. That's a good life lesson that we have to rely on others in the workplace, no matter what your vocation is. And that's also true in the church. Our faith, our journey, our salvation is a community project. It's something we have to rely on others. We, we need role models. We need mentors. And no matter our age or how long we've been Christians, we're all designed to grow in church community. Think of yourself as a plant. Okay, a plant or a tree. We are like plants, and the church is the soil in which we find all the essential nutrients to grow into mature believers. And essential to that is what Paul is displaying in this passage that we need role models, we need mentors, we need examples to look at to grow. Dennis Johnson says, whether we are adding inches to our height, or to our belt size, whether we're searching for our first whiskers on our chins or mourning the departing hair on top. Spiritually speaking, we're all still growing up. We're all still growing up. We're all still growing up, and we all need the help of others. So The two servants that Paul highlights As models is Timothy and a man called Epaphroditus. Timothy we know well. He's mentioned in many other parts of the New Testament, a fellow worker with Paul. He called him his son in the faith. Epaphroditus, uh, this is a man we hear only about here, and he is a member of this church at Philippi. But these are models Paul wants the church to, to imitate. And one of the main reasons is because they point the church to Christ. They point the church to Christ. You will never you and I will never have a better friend or a better mentor or a better spouse than one who points you to Christ by their words and their actions. That is what these men are doing. And so the overarching point this morning I want you to walk away with is that we need biblical community to grow in Christ. And that looks, it looks unique. And there's three ways that it looks unique. The first way is that it's face-to-face. It's face-to-face doing life together. Secondly, it's under the leadership of father figures. So we need father figures. And thirdly, it's side-by-side with friends. So face-to-face under the leadership of father figures and side-by-side with friends. We're going to look at biblical community through those three lenses this morning. Let's look at the first idea, face-to-face in a virtual world. Look at the first verse, 19. Verse 19, he says, I hope in the Lord Jesus to send Timothy to you soon. To send Timothy to you soon. Before I jump into the the physical nature of of biblical community, the face-to-face reality, notice what he says, how he starts his statement. I hope in In the Lord Jesus to send Timothy to you soon. What does he mean by in the Lord Jesus? He says that um, a couple different times. He says in verse 24, I trust in the Lord. Shortly I myself will come also. What that communicates is that Paul had a deep, submissive attitude to the sovereignty of God's plans over and above his plans and wishes. Remember, Paul is in chains. He's under house arrest in Rome. He cannot leave. He's waiting his trial before Caesar. So he's in a bad situation. He knows more than anybody else that we can make plans, we can, we can try to plan and, and set things into motion, but it's ultimately in the Lord. It's in the Lord's hands. He kept a light grip on his own agenda. And it's a good reminder to us that we need to keep in mind that God's agenda is over our agenda. And so ask yourself how do you approach, how do I approach planning for the future? Right? Our choice of a university or college, our career path, our husband or wife, our pursuit of a promotion at work, moving to a different company or new vacation, your investment strategy, your spending strategy, your giving strategy. Your dreams for retirement. Dennis Johnson says, you ought to formulate your hopes and plans with humility. With humility. Always aware that Jesus has both the right and the wisdom to overrule or redirect your path. I'm sure it was not in Paul's plan to be in jail. He was an evangelist. He was a church planter. And now he's sitting incarcerated. Notice he doesn't stop planning. Notice he's still putting things into motion. He's sending. He wants to send Timothy. He wants to send Epaphroditus back to this church. He is still planning. He's still active. So just because we know God is sovereign over our plans doesn't mean we don't plan. He makes plans, yet he submits to God's agenda. And an essential part of Paul's plan is that he wants to be in the physical presence of others. He wants to send... Timothy, to be physically in in person to this church. Look how many times he says "send" in these two in, in these uh, two paragraphs. I hope in the Lord Jesus to send Timothy, right? And then at verse twenty four, I hope that I myself will come also. Verse twenty five, I thought it necessary to send to you Epaphroditus. Right, he is emphasizing to be in, the, in person. We desperately need to be in each other's presence. And we need to hear that, especially in our day. We've got so many ways to meet each other in front of a screen, in front of our phones. And that is a huge blessing. It really is. But let, let's never let that become a substitute for being in person when we can, especially in the church. You see, Paul knew this. He, he, he had a way, he had a form of technology. He could write letters, right? He could write letters and send it to these churches. He knew that was important. And that's why we have our Bible the way it is today, because of his letters. But he knew his physical presence would be even better, right? To be in their lives, send, send, send. That's why we need to visit our missionaries. That's why we need to send teams to go encourage and to be in person to the missionaries who can't come see us. It's such an encouragement to hear and to pray over and to talk to the missionaries when they're back here. Think about some crucial conversations. There's actually a, a name of a book, really good book if you want to read it. Crucial conversations. Have you had any crucial conversations in your life that had to do uh, with, with mending a relationship, reconciling to someone else? Those have to be in person, don't they? You can't do that over text. Text messaging doesn't always lead to good outcomes, especially when it's a hard conversation you need to have. Another point is that life together is ordinary, but it's essential. Right? Us meeting on a Sunday morning, hearing the Word preached, singing songs and praying... It's ordinary. Going over to someone's house and visiting with them who's sick and encouraging them, that's ordinary, but it's essential. We've got to be in each other's presence. And notice the ordinary nature of Paul's letters and what he's, what he's telling them to do of this in-person ministry. You see, Paul and Timothy and Epaphroditus, they're not planning some big Billy Graham-style revival in the Colosseum. They're not planning this elaborate thing that all the, the Roman newspapers are going to cover. It's not going to be headline news. What's he telling them? I want to send Timothy to you to encourage the church. I want to send Epaphroditus to you to encourage you in your faith. They're arranging time and resources to visit a small, fledgling church to encourage them and to care for fellow brothers and sisters. Right. He's not making spiritual headlines. He's not the number one podcast on, 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 on your podcast. Right. He is doing something under the radar, and that's what 99% of ministry is. It's doing things under the radar. And it's going to people in person. And it's not just for the pastor. right? I get paid to go visit people in the hospital. Right. That's my job. That's why you guys pay me. But it's everybody's job. We must value visiting one another, encouraging one another, more than we value sitting at home in front of a screen. We need to be in each other's lives. You exist to minister to God's people. Let me say that again because it's true. You exist as a Christian to minister, to care for, to encourage God's people. I want you to ask yourself a question, application. Who can I visit this week? Who can I go and visit? Who needs a phone conversation? Even just a short one, five minutes on the phone to check in. Who can I go visit? Who can I touch? Who can I call? That is the bulk of what it means to be a member of this church and to be in fellowship with other Christians. And we must resist this tendency to go solo in our Christian life. But we must force ourselves to do life together. And we find that in showing hospitality to each other, opening up our door, having people over for dinner. We find that in small groups. We find that in getting coffee and breakfast and lunch with each other on a regular basis. I love it as a pastor when I go to Cure, when I go to Cockeyed Rooster, when I see you guys getting lunch with one another and checking in with each other. That warms my heart. I love to see that. Because it reminds me, y'all are you're doing ministry, going through books together, reading the Bible together. We must prioritize the church, and it's hard in our day because there's so many things that are vying for your attention, for your family's attention, at home, uh, at school, at sports. And I want you to hear this from Sinclair Ferguson. He says we need to learn to ask not how is church life to be fitted into my plans for myself and my family but how do we fold our lives into the life of the church. Right? Not how is the church going to fit into my already nailed down schedule but how is my schedule how is my family's schedule going to fit into the life of the church and enfold into the life of the church. That's something we need to ask ourselves more and more as we think about what it means to be a follower of Christ. So that's the first idea, that we, we need to be face-to-face in this virtual world that we're in. And also we need fathers, the need for fathers. Look at verse 22. We'll, we'll start in verse 20 and read down. He says, For I have no one like him, talking about Timothy, who will, he will be genuinely concerned for your welfare. For they all seek their own interests, not those of Jesus Christ. Here's how Timothy's different, but you know Timothy's proven worth. How as a son with a father, he has served with me in the gospel. See, Paul and Timothy had this father-son relationship. They weren't related by blood. But when Paul went to this town called Lystra and, and preached the gospel and a church was started, Timothy he met Timothy. He, Timothy had an unbelieving Greek father and he had a Jewish um, who turned Christian, converted to Christianity, mother. And they teamed up, and, and Timothy became dear to him, like, like a son to him, as he raised him in the faith and taught him, and as Timothy joined him on these, these missionary journeys. And you know, we live in an increasingly fatherless society in many ways. And fathers are struggling. The more and more I read, fathers uh, do not have good direction, do not have good support, and they're increasingly lonely. I don't know if you remember the year before I moved here. In 2015, there were riots and looting in Baltimore. And it was mostly young teenagers who were looting stores and just, just running all over the city, downtown Baltimore. It even got so bad they had to—they couldn't allow fans into the stadium of the Baltimore Orioles games. And there were many articles written. One article called it "The Lord of the Flies." Lord of the Flies in Baltimore. But many articles picked up on the idea, or this, this fact that there were fathers had pretty much um, disappeared from Baltimore and those areas. There were no fathers around. And one author from CNN, John Blake, said, it's no accident that one of the most enduring images from the, these riots, it was a video, it was a young mother spanking her son in the street as she dragged him away from the protests. And John Blake writes, where were the men in his life? Right? There was just a single mom spanking her child for, doing, for being taking part in these riots. There were no men in this man's life, this young boy's life. Good dads are a blessing. Good dads are a blessing. For most of my early childhood, we went to church, but for the most part, faith was nominal for us. We just went for the morality of it. It was good for us. It was, you know, we, it was something we did to be good people. But when my dad was truly saved by Jesus, he began to change in two significant ways that I noticed even back when I was a young teenager. The first way he began to change was he wanted to read the Bible with us at home first way and the second way was he began to sing in church so he just started to read the bible with us as a family and then he began to sing in church but i mean like really sing in church like like to the point where i was kind of embarrassed right that he's singing so loud but as i put that together oh he actually believes what he's singing right it actually became real to him and if you're a dad and, and if you are here this morning and, and you know the love of Jesus and you're trying to figure out ways to lead your family better, think about have you done those two things? Are you reading the Bible with your family? And do you sing in church? Do those two things and watch the impact it has on your kids. I guarantee you. Prioritize and normalize the reading of the Bible with your kids and sing you know, it's, it's actually kind of crazy. Studies have shown, this is from Dr. Anthony Bradley, studies have shown that one of the greatest predictors of boys persisting in their faith into adulthood is boys seeing their fathers sing. Isn't that crazy? Boys seeing their fathers sing. My kids recently told me, you know, I carpool, I, we carpool with another family, we, I'm always hearing interesting conversations in the back of the van. And they told me that they've heard from school, or someone at school told them that men don't sing. Men are not supposed to sing. I'm like, what? Where did you guys hear this? What are they teaching you at school? And I was, Charlie's like, what? What hogwash? Where did we get the perception that it's unmanly to sing? Now, I'm not going to start singing right now, so don't worry. But I will read from you what Paul had to think about singing in Colossians 3.16. This is what Paul had to say. And Remember, he's writing this to the whole church, men and women. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom. By how? How do you how do you do all those things? Admonishing one another. How do you let the word of Christ dwell in you richly? By singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness to God in your hearts, men and women singing together. I, I'm coming to believe more and more that we pass on the faith. By singing. We pass it on to our children. So, so fathers are essential to that. Fathers are essential pieces. We shouldn't forget. We should, we, should, we should emphasize. Dr. Anthony Bradley says this as well. When you're just thinking about how do we have thriving children? He says it's very simple. The formula is very simple to have produced thriving children. Married parents plus parental warmth plus fathers who provide what? Boundaries play and joyful affection, right? Fathers who provide boundaries, right? They keep their kids safe. They tell them no, right? They play with their kids. Fathers fathers should roughhouse with their boys. That's good for them. It teaches them. And they should be tender and play with their daughters. That produces thriving children. Fathers are so important. But you might be sitting here this morning and say, you know what, that's great and all, but I didn't have a good relationship with my father. I didn't have a good dad. And actually, even now, I struggle. You could say, I I struggle with my father. I don't have a good father. And that's where I want to tell you, there's also a place for father figures. Even if you didn't have that that relationship with your biological father, father figures can be important as well. And I'm an example of that. My dad died when I was 14. And numerous men, I think back in my life, numerous men came in and out of my life to help me grow from childhood to adulthood in life and in my faith. And the first one that God used was the man who was in the room when I first heard that my dad passed and my mom asked him to be there and it was my youth pastor. And he played an instrumental part in my life, just being in my life, playing video games with me, just spending time with me and teaching me just modeling for me what it means to be a, a man. You know, young men and women need older saints in their lives. Older saints. They need to see them. They need to sing with them. They need to be in church with them to show them what growing up looks like and why and how growing up toward the maturity of Jesus is possible. We need models. We need models. It gives children hope when they see that. The church is an essential piece of that process but fathers will fail and fathers do fail all fathers fail even the best of fathers will fail and i fail as a father as well and that's where the gospel the grace of the gospel comes in as well that that's where we need to repent confess fall upon the grace of jesus you One mark of personal spiritual maturity is is in knowing that we're not yet fully mature. Paul will say that in the next chapter. In chapter 3 of Philippians, he says, Not that I've already obtained this, or am already perfect, but I press on to make it my own because Christ Jesus has made me His own. Do you see his gospel logic? What's motivating Paul? Paul. It's not his perfect performance, but Jesus' love and perfect performance for him. Because Jesus has made me his own. And Then he says in verse 15, Let those of us who are mature think this way. You are mature if you know you're not fully mature. That's what he's saying. The fathers will fail. And we need good models of repentance. You see, good fathers, the best of fathers what do they do? They point their children to the best father. They point their children to the Savior. And that is the truth this morning. We have a perfect heavenly father who we can call Abba. Right? We can call Abba Father who wants that intimate, tender relationship with us to draw us in. But what about mothers? All, all you mothers are probably wondering, Wait, what about me? We know largely in speaking societally in society mothers largely have always been there. Right? When the father departs it's just the mom that's left to take over. And that's made a huge different difference in children's lives. They need their mothers. The perpetual faith and prayers of a mother God loves to use in a children's life in a child's life especially when fathers are struggling or are absent. And especially for daughters, they need to see their mothers. And as we think about parents in general, and how we love our children, and what what really um, what weighs on our hearts, you know, as we're as we're parenting, as we're raising up children, because anxiety exists. Paul had anxiety for his own churches; these were like children to him in the faith. Remember, you see it down in verse twenty-six and twenty-seven. He. He's talking about Epaphroditus' sorrow and, and struggling and stress and anxiety just as he has that same anxious. Look at verse 28, that I may be less anxious. He was anxious about the churches. He wanted them to know Jesus. And the main burden of parents is that we want them to be saved. The state of their souls was perhaps the heaviest weight on Paul's pastoral heart. Right? Right? Paul dealt with anxiety and stress because he loved so much and he loved these churches. And so here he is as his father to Timothy. Timothy, he's sending him off. He wants to send him back off to Philippi. Um, And he says, I'll trust in the Lord that shortly I myself will come also. So we need fathers. The, The last thing I'll say this morning is that we need friends. The need for friends. And here I'm going to zero in on Epaphroditus. He describes Epaphroditus in verse 25. In 26, he says, For I have thought it necessary to send to you Epaphroditus, my brother, and fellow worker, and fellow soldier, and your messenger, and minister to my need. For he has been longing for you all, and has been distressed, because you heard that he was ill. You see how he calls, he doesn't call him a son, so here we're talking about a little bit different relationship. But he is calling him a brother, a fellow worker, a fellow soldier. right? A peer, someone who he works with. This And this is what I'm going to describe as a friend. We need friends to work alongside with. We desperately need friends. And with the rise of social media in our day, you know, the word friend, I think, has been watered down. I think we can all admit to that. And so when I say we need friends, I'm not saying we need Facebook friends. I'm saying we need friends that we can meet with, have coffee with, be vulnerable with, know that we have a trusted, Companion, a trusted confidant to talk to. And so, what is a good friend? How do we define a good friend? Well, first, he calls him my brother, right? Epaphroditus, my brother. You know, with brothers and sisters, you know, that's why we call each other brother in Christ, sister in Christ. There's a closeness, there's a a trustworthiness, there's a vulnerability with our brothers and our sisters. And to be a good friend, you really need three things that, that we'll see here with Epaphroditus. You need availability, you need sensitivity, and you need reliability. You need to be reliable, sensitive, and available. Let's talk about availability first. First, Notice again how he says send. Here, I'm going to send Epaphroditus. I'm going to send Timothy. The only reason he could do that was because they made themselves available. Right, they made themselves available to Paul. And you know, traveling back to Philippi from Rome would have been arduous. It would have been difficult. It would have taken weeks. Dennis, Dennis Johnson says, In order to bring news from Paul to Philippi and from Philippi back to Paul, Timothy would invest weeks in order to make this arduous and dangerous trip over land and sea. Dangerous, for sure. Right, it wouldn't have been just like hopping on a plane. Uh, and going on a three-hour journey. This would have taken weeks. It would have been difficult. But he he made himself available. And to make yourself available, you have to do two things. You have to have margin in your day and in your week, and you have to prioritize certain things. So what do I mean by margin? You have to create open time, open space. That's really hard for us to do in our modern world. We're so busy. We're we're driven by so many things in our life. We, We don't create enough margin. But to be available, you do need to do that. Create some downtime in your world, in your life, in your schedule where you can be available. And then combine that with prioritizing the right things. You will never be available in the church for needs that come up if you're not prioritizing the church. But if you make yourself available by creating margin and prioritizing the church, then you will be there. You will be able to help out. And so ask yourself the question, am I making myself available here to serve in the church? Am I having margin in my life, and do I prioritize the church? Second thing we need, so be available. Second thing is sensitivity. Look how he describes Epaphroditus. He is the messenger and minister to my need, verse 26 he has been longing for you all and has been distressed because he heard that y'all heard y- you guys heard that he was ill indeed he was ill near to death but god had mercy on him and then look at verse 30 for he nearly died for the work of christ risking his life right he was he was willing to sacrifice he was willing to truly care and going back to uh, Going back to Timothy, it says in verse 20, he was genuinely concerned for your welfare. Right? Timothy and Epaphroditus, they weren't just doing these things to check off their list uh, that they had to do for Paul, and they weren't grumbling about it. They genuinely wanted to be there. And so the question for you and I is, okay, we've checked the box, we're available, but do we care? We're available, but do we truly care about those who are we're in the midst of and you know, usually, if, you're, if you have enough margin, if you create a margin, you've created priorities in your life, you're prioritizing being there, you've created margin for being there, you're typically going to care about being there. But if you've got other pressing needs, if you've got to keep a schedule, you're not going to care. You're going to be thinking about where you're going next. But these guys didn't. They had prioritized it, and they cared. They were sensitive. And then, then thirdly, they were reliable. Look how he describes 20, uh, Timothy in verse 22. You know Timothy's proven worth. You see, Paul could rely on these guys. These were not guys that he just uh, picked up and didn't know if they were going to come through for him. Uh, he knew them well. He knew their track record. He had a proven worth, he called Timothy. And so ask, we need to ask ourselves, do we have a track record of following through with what we said we were going to do? Do we have a track record of doing that? And if we do, we're going to be adding to hope. We're going to be adding to this church and the community project of building each other's faith because none of us were meant to walk alone. You will not grow in your faith this year if you, if you try to do it alone. Iron sharpens iron. That's true for men and women. We need each other. And the most important thing we can do when we, when we go to each other and we serve is what he says in verse 30. Paul says that Epaphroditus, he nearly died for the work of Christ, risking his life to complete what was lacking in your service to me. So apparently, he, Epaphroditus came down with some really bad illness, almost died, and that he risk, risked his life to complete what was lacking. In your service to me. What what Paul is saying there, he's not saying that the Philippians lacked in care or desire to be with Paul. He's not he's not trying to put them down. What he's saying is what was lacking in your service to me was that you couldn't come in person, that you couldn't be with me here in in the church, you couldn't be with me here in my house arrest. And so what Epaphroditus did was he did what you couldn't do and he came that distance be with me, to serve me. What was lacking was that you couldn't be with me. And I believe he means that because he says something similar in Colossians chapter 1, verse 24, when he says that my suffering, Paul's suffering, fills up what is lacking in Christ's afflictions. But he's not saying that, that Christ's atoning work has any insufficiency, that it's, that it's lacking in any way, but, but he was saying as a An apostle who's suffering, I present that to you when I see you in person. That I minister to you, I give you Christ when I come to you in person. And that's what he's saying about Epaphroditus. He presented Christ and his love and his suffering to him from the Philippian church. I was thinking about that this week as a few of us were visiting Al Mayo, the regu- regular attender who um, is on life support currently. And we're not sure if he's going to make it. And um, and I was there with Bill and, and uh, Joe Joins. And and we were just, you know, we, we're not sure how much Al is hearing us. You know, he's in the ICU. We're not sure if he's responding to us or knows that we're there. But we still, we talk to him. Still, we put our arm on him. Still, we pray for him. Still, we read scripture to him. In his most doubt, in his Greatest time of need, right? We come to those we love, a brother in Christ, and we show up and we do that right, to remind him, and, and with our physical presence, of the real presence of Jesus, who's with him, even in this moment. And I'll remind you, you'll never have a better friend than one who points you to Christ by their words and actions. And with our Savior, we, we have the best friend. He calls us our, our, His friends. In John 15, 15, No longer do I call you servants. For the servant does not know what his master is doing. But I have called you friends. for All that I have heard from my Father, I have made known to you. Jesus, God of the universe, calls you His friend. Doesn't that blow your mind? <laughs> the God of the universe calls you friend. And a friend who loved you to the end. A friend who died for you. In your place. As your friend Jesus. He's with you. He is available. He is sensitive to everything. Every need. Every struggle you have. He is that friend who knows. Who who will talk to you. Who will hear you out. And he's reliable. He will always be there for you. He has done everything possible to save you. He, is, he has completed the salvation task when he said it is finished on the cross. Nothing more can be done. He's the friend who did it all for you. He is the best friend that any of us could ask for. So, My last question as I close is, who are you watching? Right? Who are you seeking to imitate? Who are you looking up to, either in the church or in culture, as your role model. I'll tell you right now, God has put some very wise, very discerning, very godly people in this church, in this building, that you can imitate and that you can look up to. Go get to know them. And think about who are you going to spend time imitating? Who do you want to grow up to be? Paul's saying, look at Timothy. Look at Epaphroditus. Let us all be seeking to do that as we seek to grow in Christ. Let's pray. Father, we thank you. We thank you um, for the importance of face-to-face meetings, that we can be in person together this morning. And for all who can't, we, we, we pray they would be able, because we were designed for that. And we, we thank you for fathers who model... Humility, love, affection, and we thank you for friends who all they all three of those point us to Jesus, who came in the flesh, who died on the cross, who rose again to eternal life, and who gives us a salvation that can never be taken away. Encourage us this morning. In Jesus' name. Amen.